Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? Good to see you. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here. You'll notice anything different in the sanctuary? New lights, yeah, new lights, new lights. Warren Weeks will be back to work tomorrow in light duty. First thing we're going to need him to do, yeah. First thing we're going to need him to do is get up on the ladder and fix that light right there. That light right there is, just kidding, y'all. We're not letting him ever on the ladder again. I'm not even going to let him wear high-heeled shoes, y'all. He is going to stay on the ground. He doesn't want to be on a ladder anymore, I, I know, but he does want to come back to work, and I'm excited to welcome him back to the office. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 23. I love this passage. We're finishing today the message series entitled Firefall. We've been going through First and Second Kings, looking at the ministries of the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha, and we're going to wrap that up today with a great passage. I love this so much. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare, uh, among other things today, but primarily spiritual warfare and what that means. I know some of you think, Pastor Jim, I don't believe in all that stuff. Well, you know, maybe the Spirit of God will make you a believer today. Uh, that, that, that is my prayer. Years ago here at church, we had a lady named Winnie Mae Hopper. Uh, at one time, she was the, uh, one of the oldest living members of our church. She was one of those people that lived her entire life. Uh, in the life of Woodburn Baptist Church. She was born in the church and went from, you know, girlhood to glory <laughs> at Woodburn Baptist Church and, and, and died at a ripe old age. She was fantastic. I loved Winnie Mae. Um, later in, in her years, uh, Winnie Mae began to lose her sight. Eventually, she was mostly blind. Uh, I say mostly because I'm not sure, to be honest, I'm not sure what she could see. She, I'd go visit Winnie Mae and uh, she'd say, oh, pastor, it's a dark world. I'd say, I know Winnie Mae's guy, I can't even imagine. She said, oh, you just don't understand, it's a dark world. She was blind and uh, had a really difficult time with that. It's a dark world, she'd say. So one day I went to see her. It, had been, it hadn't been that long since I'd seen her last, but I can grow a beard pretty fast. And I had grown a beard in that time, so let my beard grow. Now, I knew that back in those days, uh, a, a lot of the old people didn't really like beards, and especially beards on preachers, and especially Winnie Mae. Like really didn't like beards on preachers, but I'm thinking, you know, it's a dark world, right? So I'm not really not gonna have to, not gonna have to deal with that. And so I, I walked into Winnie Mae's room and I sat down. The first thing she said was, "Get rid of it." I said, "What, Winnie Mae? What are you talking about?" She said, "Shave it off." I said, "My beard?" She said, "That beard, shave it off." I said, "I thought she was blind." I mean, you know, like literally. Like how, you know, could she, you know, like, you know, not see, see, not see, see, she could see my beard. Her daughter, Sarah Jean, said that if you brought her change from the store, she could count the bills, you know, so she could, like, see a preacher's beard or a $20 bill. But other than that, you know, <laughs> blind. Um, I don't know. Apparently, you can be able to see certain things and still be considered blind. And that's what I want you to consider today. Well, I want us to talk about spiritual vision. I want you to understand that most everybody in this room has pretty good eyes to see the physical world. And because you see the physical world, you really don't think of yourself as blind. But, but many of you, many of you are absolutely, completely, spiritually blind. You can't see anything spiritually. And, and my prayer today is that God will open your eyes. And this passage is a fantastic passage for that. It's about opening eyes and seeing, seeing what is there right before your eyes if you can see uh, things spiritually. 
In this passage I'm about to read, you're going to notice that Elisha the prophet is going to pray three different prayers, and every prayer that he prays is going to have something to do with either opening eyes or closing eyes, making people see or making people blind. And it's just so good. This is just so good. Uh, uh, Join me. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to read the whole story starting in verse 8. Y'all there? If you're there, say there. That's about half of y'all. Okay, let's go. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha the man of God would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aaron became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, Tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is a Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Then Elisha went out and told them, "You've, you've come the wrong way. This isn't the city. Follow me, and I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill him? Should I kill him? That doesn't seem very royal to me, you know? I mean, that that whole, should I kill him? Should I kill him? Verse 22, of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and sent them home to their master. And after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. (laughs) There is so much there. I love that so much. So Israel is at war with Aram. There's nothing new about that. They always at war with Aram during the days of Elijah and Elisha. But but here's the thing. Every time the Arameans try to make a move, it seems like Israel's already ahead of them, always a step ahead of them. Anywhere they decide to go and, and, and plan a sneak attack, you can't sneak up on them. They already know. They're already ready. And so the king of Aram decides what? We must have a spy. 
Got to be a spy. Somebody spying on us and going back and reporting to the Israelites. I mean, how else do you explain what's happening here? But the advisors all get together and say, no, it is not a spy. It's a prophet in Israel. Isn't that awesome? I I mean, I I love that so much. It's it's not a spy. It's a prophet. See, the, the king wants to explain things naturally. But it's not a natural thing going on. It's a supernatural thing going on. Can I just say this right at the start? Because I can't wait to say it to you. When your life is connected to supernatural power, supernatural things will happen. And I know you're thinking, ain't nothing supernatural happened in my life ever. Well, you know, this is one of those if-then statements, right? When your life is connected to supernatural power, you see... See, what I'm saying is so many of us live lives that are just so utterly natural. Nothing supernatural happens to you because your life is not connected to supernatural power. I'm talking about the power of God. See, so many of us, we just think of the spiritual life as going to church. Can I just tell you, for most people, going to church is a very natural habit. And it's just that, a natural habit. You get up, you shower you drag your sorry bones to church. You endure an hour of service. You think the preacher preaches too long. You talk about that on the way to Cheddar's. And then you do that again next week. And it's an entirely, entirely natural habit for you. But I'm telling you, when your life is connected to supernatural power, supernatural things will happen. See, that's the thing about the prophet Elijah. He is so connected to this God of impossible power that just impossible things happen around him all the time. When's the last time anything happened to you that you could not explain without referring to the supernatural? I don't mean like the time, you know, Granny saw a ghost. You know, I ain't talking about that kind of supernatural. I'm talking about like the last time you could say, man, I can tell you right there, God answered my prayer. Like, have you lately been able to say, man, I prayed that prayer, and that's a miracle right there. God answered that prayer. See, some of you look at me funny, but, you know, you might have more of that if you actually prayed. Can I just offer that to you? I mean, more than just, you know, bless the food. If you actually prayed it and asked God for impossible things and trusted him for miracles, I'm telling you, God is a God of impossible power. But impossible things don't happen to you because you just kind of live a life of the possible, naturally possible. When's the last time anything happened to you that could not be explained without reference to God and divine intervention? Now, that's one thing for us personally. I, 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 I would ask the same question for us as a church. Because it's, it's sad enough when it's just me and you individually, but when we all come together as the body of Christ and it's the same kind of story, that's some kind of awful spiritual shame. And I just ask you, when's the last time in the life of Woodburn Baptist Church that something happened that we could only explain with reference to God? See, that concerns me. So much of what happens around here can just be explained by, you know, really you know, faithful people who work hard and give their money, you, you know. I, I mean, a lot of what happens around here doesn't happen everywhere, but it happens wherever, you know, people show up and do their part. But, but that's natural stuff. You understand? That, that would happen at the Lions Club or the PTA or, you know, your, your 
you know, soccer boosters at school. I mean, any place where people are dedicated to a cause, you know, people can make things happen. But I'm not talking about any of that. I'm saying when's the last time God did something around here in the life of this church that, that, that could not be explained just by saying, you know, a lot of people came together, made that happen, worked hard, gave their money. See, the problem is one of the reasons why we don't experience any kind of supernatural power is that we really don't attempt anything that would require it. You know, when we pray, we just pray for things that sort of would turn out naturally. When we try things, we don't really try anything unless we're pretty sure it's going to work out. Because honestly, we don't want to be in a situation that requires supernatural power. But can I tell you something? Your everyday life requires supernatural power. You are in a spiritual world, and there is a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle looming around your head every single day. Your life is impacted by unseen forces and realities every day, every single day. This is your life. You say, Pastor Tim, I don't know what you're talking about. This is what I'm telling you. They're unseen. They're unseen. And for that matter, lots and lots of people don't even believe in this kind of stuff. I mean, even those of you who come to church and say you worship God, your actual faith in a supernatural or a spiritual world is very, very thin. I don't really know how you read the Bible because it's just absolutely filled of, 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 of windows that lets you look into a world that's not the physical world. It's not the seen world. Your life is impacted every single day by unseen forces and realities. I mean, every minute, every day. You don't see it. And the horrible thing about this kind of blindness is that you can't see what you can't see. So for that reason, you just sort of live as if none of that exists. You live a very natural life as if this natural world is all that there is. And I'm here to tell you, you have no idea. Your life, all around us, all the time, there are sports, forces, there are spiritual realities that are unseen, unknown in this world, unless the Lord opens your eyes. And I'm begging him to open your eyes. I want you to see. I want you to understand. Because just like in this passage today, there's a battle going on. It's not just that there's a spiritual world with like fairies, you know, and leprechauns and poltergeists and weirdness. I'm not talking about that mess, y'all. I'm, I'm talking about the things that the scripture d- d- defines and describes. Spiritual reality, spiritual forces. You have an enemy, for example. There's an actual spiritual battle. And, and in this life, you and I are opposed the scripture says the devil's like a roaring lion, you know, roaming to and fro, seeking one of us to devour. You have an enemy. And, and let me just break it to you. You may not believe in him, but he believes in you. And for that reason, you are a sitting duck, an absolute sitting duck, because you're getting attacked every single day. You're getting manipulated. He's pulling your string, and you don't even understand that it's the enemy doing it. So let's talk about that just a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, this is Paul talking. Paul says this, Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. See, I love that. Paul here is sort of saying, in a way that Satan can get ahead of us, because we already know his game. We know what he does. We know his strategies. Do we, though? 
I mean, do you? My hunch is you don't because he eats you for lunch every day. I mean, you are a sitting duck because while Paul says this with confidence, I'm not so confident that we really understand how the devil comes against us. So can we talk about that? And I've done this before. I've said this before. But my conviction as a pastor is you're supposed to be familiar with these things. You're supposed to understand so that when the devil comes up against you, you recognize the work of the enemy. All right? Let's go through some principles. None of this is new. If you've been with me for 25 years, I've said this over and over and over. Number one, the enemy targets key individuals and central figures of spiritual influence. The enemy does this. Understand, the devil is not powerful. Greater is he that is in me, the scripture says, and he that is in the world. The devil's not powerful. Now, all of the horror movies make the devil seem awesome. You know, I mean, like he's slinging people across the room, heads are spinning, you know, people are like, blah, blah, you know, and crosses and holy water. Okay, it ain't like that. It's not like that. None of it's like that. Instead, he just sort of understand has one actual weapon, one actual strategy, and it's always to lie. He is a liar and the father of lies. So see, you think, you know, you'd recognize the devil because he hop out in a red suit and a pitchfork. But that's not how it works. You understand, the devil is basically just with you all the time, whispering in your ear. Whispering lies to you. But since you don't know that that's him and you don't understand that those are lies, you fall for them all the time. And for that reason, you are living a life of spiritual defeat. But he's also lazy. He's lazy. He hates all of us. He would literally kill, destroy all of us if he could, but that's way too much work. So understand, what he does is target key individuals. So in the family, it's often the father. He comes against the father. He could try to you know, attack every family member personally, but he, if he can just take the father and take him out spiritually, understand, he usually gets the kids and the mama with him. Something about that central place of the father, spiritually speaking, in the family. So he goes against the father. That's why on any given Sunday, if you look around, we got more women here than men. And I'm just telling you, if the man doesn't go to church, the, the statistics show that when the children reach the age where they can choose, they won't go either. Understand? Whether or not mama goes or not, kids tend to follow dad spiritually. You cannot like this, but you can't argue with it. It's just the way it works. So the devil attacks the father. In the church, the, the devil often attacks me because he's lazy. He understands that if he could cause me to fall publicly, in front of all of you, if he could cause me to ruin my own example, if he could cause me to demonstrate to you all that I don't practice or believe what I preach, you understand, then he can do incredible spiritual damage in this church family. And so there's a target on me. It's a target on all of the key leaders in our church. I mean, again, it's not that we're more important. It's just that the devil's using strategy. And there are key individuals, there are central figures. And so you've seen this happen all of your life. It's why so many pastors fall. It's why so many fathers struggle and, and end up, you know, bringing spiritual, you know, uh, defeat to their families. The enemy targets key individuals, central figures. In the story today, it's the prophet Elisha. You see that? 
The entire, you know, war between the Arameans and the Israel, it all comes down to coming up and attacking one man because the king of Aram understands if I take out the prophet, I defeat the nation. Interesting. Now, at the same time, understand this. The enemy targets vulnerable individuals, the young, the spiritually fragile. It's like on one of those nature shows, you know, when there's a herd of wildebeest and a lion, right? And the lion's after the wildebeest, just wants one wildebeest. But, you know, like the wildebeest are all running off, but then there's one little young wildebeest, you know, with the gimpy leg, and the lion's going to just what? Go after him. You know, and it's the same way. The enemy notices who's vulnerable, and you're easy pickings. You think, Pastor Tim, don't you think the devil would have a little bit of mercy on on a child? Are you kidding me? He would kill him in the womb. I mean, do you not understand how the devil works? He doesn't have mercy on children. He hates children because every child is created in the image of God, and it is God that he's rebelling against. Are y'all with me? Am I making sense? Am I scaring y'all? You just understand this is the truth, I hope. The enemy targets vulnerable individuals, the young, the spiritually fragile. Who's spiritually fragile? Well, like any of us at any given time, he knows when you're exhausted. He understands when, when you're doubting, when you're asking questions, and he pounces. Understand? So that's why in, in, in the life of, of Christ, in, in our spiritual life, in our life as a family of God, we, we need to put a hedge of protection around the children, and we need to encourage the weak and, 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 and minister to the vulnerable because the, the devil knows, the devil knows who it is that's going to be easy pickings. This last thing, please understand this. This is just your life. This is how he works in your life. The enemy's strategy is to overwhelm you, to paralyze you so that you won't engage the fight. Have you never experienced this? Of course you have. You just may not have known that this is what was happening. The enemy's strategy is to overwhelm you. You've heard me say this. I'm going to say it again. The devil will never send a shark to devour you in one bite. What does he do? He will send a thousand minnows, not a shark that's going to swallow you up in one bite. He's going to send a thousand minnows. So it, it kind of works like this. It's the day that you get up and your transmission goes out on the way to work. And then you get to work and you realize that the internet is down. And then they tell you that yesterday you were exposed to somebody with COVID, so they send you home. And on your way home, they call you at the school and tell you they're sending your kids home too. And then that's the evening that your wife finds a lump under her arm. Is that not how life works? It's always just this overwhelming avalanche of problems. And this is just the devil's strategy. Because one at a time, you would take these things on. One problem, one attack at a time, you would know how to stand strong. You would, you would know how to fight. But, but he doesn't approach you that way because he knows that. What he wants to do is just paralyze you. So he'll just overwhelm you all the time, not with a big shark, but with a thousand minnows. They're just eating you away from every direction. And all that makes you do is just give up. You're paralyzed. You don't even know how to start fighting because where would you even begin? He's attacking you from all sides. Is this just my life or or have you not experienced this? It's never one thing. It's a thousand things all at once. 
And the thing about the devil is he'll kind of leave you alone for a while so that you learn to love comfort and you love when everything's going well. And then right about the time when you're really, really comfortable, that's when he will drop an avalanche of attacks on you and it's overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. His strategy is to overwhelm you, to paralyze you so that you won't even engage the fight. So if the king of Aram wants to take out the prophet, what does he do? He sends this incredible army, verse 14. He sends a great army with many chariots and horses and surrounds the city. Coming after one preacher. Maybe Elisha was more manly than me, but y'all know good and well, like an army of second grade girls could take me. I mean, you know, I'm I'm, I'm worthless. It wouldn't take anything. I mean, you know, like one guy, you know, with a, you know, I don't know. With a rubber band, you know, could probably, you know, have me down, you know, and take me off. I mean, I, so it's just this incredible, incredible force, and this is what I'm saying. It's overkill, but that's the whole point. Just to paralyze you, to overwhelm you. Elisha's supposed to look out the window and wet his pants because he understands that, oh my goodness, look at the enemy. I'm surrounded. I'm finished. And, and for that reason, he never even thinks to fight. That's the way the devil works. It's always how the enemy works. So back to the story. So that's what happens, right? The king of Aram sends this incredible army, just incredible army, all of these troops, horses, chariots, I mean, all of this, you know, got the house surrounded. They got SWAT teams on the roof of Elisha's house, you know, and it turns out Elisha has, you know, he's always got like a young assistant with him, an associate pastor, right? And so there's this unnamed servant. He's the first one up. So what happens? He gets up, he goes, he stretches, he looks out the window, and what does he see? He sees SWAT teams, you know, hide behind the bushes. He sees tanks and chariots and horses and armies and, you know, helicopters overhead. And and, and he freaks out. What does he do? He starts screaming to Elisha. He starts crying out, Lord, what are we going to do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Okay. But you got to love Elisha. Because what's Elisha doing? Elisha is on the couch in his big fuzzy slippers, stirring his oatmeal, watching Good Morning America. Does he not know? Well, of course he knows, y'all. He, remember, he knows like every time the king of Aram goes to the bathroom. That's what the scripture said, right? Like He knows every time the king of Aram burps. He knows everything. He knows everything. I mean, he's always known every attack. So you think for a minute Elisha doesn't know that they're out there attacking him? So what's Elisha's deal? You got the same situation. You got two men in the same house surrounded by SWAT teams and helicopters and tanks, right? Armies come up against them, but you have two very different responses. Two very different responses. The first guy wets his pants in fear, screaming, what do we do, what do we do? The other guy never even gets out of his chair to look out the window. What does Elisha say? It's just so awesome. Verse 16, don't be afraid. For there are more on our side than on theirs. (laughs) There are more on our side than on theirs. I remind you, he hasn't even gotten out of his chair. He has not looked out the window and done any kind of count. 
He has no idea how many SWAT team, you know, guys are on top of the house right now. He has no idea how many choppers. No idea. You know, how many canine units. He has no idea. But he still knows. What does he know? He knows there are more on our side than on theirs. The way y'all looking at me, I'm afraid it means I don't understand what that says. There are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes, let him see. <laughs> open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around, around what? Elisha, around Elisha. The hillside around Elisha was filled with Horses and chariots of fire. Now, I can't preach this whole thing right here, but y'all know Elisha has seen chariots of fire before, right? Y'all remember when? Like when that happened, I said, y'all pay attention because this is going to come back. Remember the first time Elisha saw a chariot of fire? When, when was it? It's when Elijah was taken up and Elijah said, a whole lot's going to depend on what you see when I'm gone. And, and Elisha sees a chariot of fire. It's like in that moment God opens his eyes. When the young man opens his eyes, he sees the hillside around Elisha filled with horses and chariots of fire. Do you understand? There are more on your side than on the devil's side. There are more on our side than on theirs. It, 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 it is a fundamental truth of the spiritual life. You have nothing to be afraid of. Devil can't do anything to you but lie to you. That's the only thing he can do is, is lie to you. But he's patient, and he watches you, and he studies you. He can't read your thoughts. He can't read your mind. But, but he watches you, and he, he's learned a lot about you. And he always knows the best lie to use. He'll, he'll use just enough truth, or, or he'll put that lie just right in that painful part of your heart where, where, where your guard is down. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have nothing to be afraid of. So, if the Lord could open your eyes, like right now, what, what would you see? As I was sitting right there before I got up to preach, I really felt the Lord speak to me and tell me that in this life, my life, I'm looking at all the wrong things. I'm looking at all the wrong things. If, if you were to open our eyes, what would we see? Uh, horses and chariots, I, I don't know. That's what Elisha saw. I, I, I don't know if that's what you're going to see. I, I, I don't know if it's like that. But, but I think that in the story, I think for Elisha and, and his assistant, I think what Elisha knows without even getting out of his chair is just simply that, that, that when you understand how the spiritual world works, when you understand the power of God and you understand the, the way God already has victory over the enemy, then I think that you'll begin to see everywhere you look God's power and God's possibility. Possibility and power. The eyes of faith will always see God's power and possibility. See, this is what you don't see, and this is why in your life you have so much trouble. This is why in your life the devil can just can trip you up with, with nearly the smallest kind of attack because you really don't understand the power of God and the possibility of God. You don't understand. You just don't understand that when God is at work, all things are possible. I mean, in your life right now, you got problems, you have 
you know, struggles, you have addictions, you have sins, you have all kinds of habits and hang-ups and hurts, and in your mind, nothing can be done. In your mind, this is, just, this is how it is, and you just got to suck it up and, and deal with it, or, or else you can't deal with it and you find a way to escape it, but, but in your mind, you just don't really have a real sense of, of possibility. You don't really understand that when God is at work, all things are possible because there is an unlimited power unleashed in your life, and God wants to unleash this power, release it in your life. You don't understand this. You don't see this. But right now, if God were to open your eyes, you will begin to look at your life with a very different sense of power that's available to you. You no longer feel that nothing can be done. You no longer feel weak. You no longer feel like, you know, it's just going to be defeat after defeat after defeat because that's how it's always been. It doesn't have to be like it's always been because God's power makes new things possible. I mean, all things are possible. Because God's power is unlimited. How many ways do I need to say it? Do you understand? If you could open your eyes, you'd see this. And you would understand that this power and this possibility now define your life. Your life is not defined by the things that you see, by the things money can buy, by the house that you love, but by appearances. None of that defines your life. Your life is not defined by all the stupid things you did when you were young or all the stupid things you're doing now. Your life is defined by the possibility and power of God. This is what he says. So what do you do with all this power and possibility? That sounds awesome. So, the Aramean army advanced toward him, and Elisha prayed. (laughs) He prayed. He didn't reach out. You know, he wasn't packing. No, he's packing a prayer, y'all. Praise a simple prayer. It's the opposite prayer that he just prayed for his servant. Do you see that? It's the opposite prayer. For the servant, he prayed what? Oh, Lord, open his eyes. Make him see. But now with the enemy, what does he pray? Make him blind. Make him blind. So instantly, the whole situation of the war switches. The advantage that the enemy had. All of that's turned upside down because now the the young man of God, he can see, and now the enemy, they're blind. So now they're all the things that you and I are in our blindness. They're vulnerable. They're dumb. They're sitting ducks, right? So what's Elisha do? They're all looking for Elisha. Elisha knows they're looking for Elisha, but now they're all blind, right, and stupid. So Elisha goes out, and what does he say? Oh, goodness, you know, that, 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 that man you're looking for, he ain't home. But I know where he lives. If you all just fire everybody, hold hands, and I'll take all you blind people, and we will go. And that's what he does, y'all. This is what Elisha does. He says, I, I'll, take you, I, I'll take you where you need to be. So all these blind morons now, you know, with their helicopters and their canine units and the SWAT team, like they're all blind, and they hold hands, and they walk with Elisha all the way to Samaria, and he just lines them up in front of the king of Samaria, the king of Israel, and then what does he do? He prays one more prayer, and it's awesome. What's he pray? All right, Lord, let them see. And they open their eyes, and what? It's awesome. So what's the king say? Notice that while the king is technically the commander-in-chief, he doesn't really seem to be in command of anything. 
So when he has the entire army in front of him, what does he say? Elisha, should we kill him? Should we kill him? Actually, he says, Father. You know, Father, should we kill him? I mean, it's Eli- Elisha seems to be commander-in-chief at this point. Should we kill him? And Elisha says, no. No. Now, I would. You would. You know? I'd kill him slow and awful. I mean, they were just trying to kill them. This war has been going on forever. Let's finish this thing. Let's finish this war. Let's just give it up. Let's destroy them. I mean, that's all you got to do. Just kill them. It's war. Y'all understand how war works, right? No, you don't. Elisha does, though. No, we're not going to kill them. We're not going to kill them. So what does Elisha do? Read the Bible. He orders Chick-fil-A. He brings in Chick-fil-A. They all have this amazing lunch. They eat Chick-fil-A. He gives them all pedicures and a T-shirt and sends them home. I'm not making that up, y'all. It's what it says. Made a great feast for them. I mean, they just take care of them. They pamper them. They treat them like honored guests. They show them love. Chick-fil-A, pedicure, and a T-shirt. Every man goes home and says, man, those are the nicest people I have ever met. I can't even believe we were going to kill them. I'm ashamed of myself. You know, let's just call this whole war off. That's what they do. That's what it says. After that, there's no more war. Man, there's just so much there. I mean, there's a whole sermon there you know about loving your enemies. I don't have time to preach it, but can you just real quickly in your head go there? You understand that, that you love enemies? That's what Jesus says, you love enemies. But, but, but on top of that, what you have to do, and, and this is spiritual warfare here. This is how it works. You have to tap into God's unlimited power and possibility, but then unleash it for the sake of love. You unleash it for the sake of love. This is what Elisha does. This is how we fight our battles, you all. This is how it's done. You tap into God's unlimited power and possibility, and then you unleash all of that for the sake of love. So just a couple of questions to wrap it up. What part of your life right now needs power and possibility? Where is your weakness? What is the problem? What is the addiction? What is the hurt? What is the bitterness? What is it in your life that you are completely incapable of doing on your own? Where is the point where the devil's coming at you over and over and over? Where's the lie that you're believing? I'm just asking you, where is that weak point? Where is the place in your life where you really, really need power and possibility? Question number two. Now, what would happen if God were to open your eyes? What would you see? How how would this situation be different? How would your life be different if all of a sudden you were able to see possibility and power in all the places that you'd never seen it before? Now, why will you not Open your eyes. Do you understand how different your life could be? Do you understand how different your marriage would be? Do you understand how different everything looks when your eyes are open and you are able to see God's power, God's possibility all around you? 
So what I'm saying is it's entirely possible to be able to see some things and still be blind. And I just want you to understand, if you don't have eyes to see spiritual reality, it is a dark world. Pray with me. Oh, Lord God, will you open our eyes? Will you open our eyes? Will you lift our heads? Will you make it, Lord, so that we don't continue to focus all of our eyes, all of our vision, all of our attention, all of our focus, Lord? Will you just fix it so that we don't always spend our entire life looking at all the wrong things? Will you make it so that, Lord, we don't fall for the devil's lies every day, one after another, the same old lie, the same old trap, the same old defeat? Lord God, will you make it so that we discover victory? Lord, this power that we lack, it only comes from you. It can only come from you. If we could do this without you, Lord, we would have already done it. We wouldn't be living a life of such utter lostness, darkness. Oh, God, if we could even imagine the possibility of what, what, what you could do if we would surrender our lives to you, Lord. But we can't. We can't ask for it. We can't imagine. We can't even dream of it, Lord, because we can't see. We are blind men. We are blind women, Lord. And we live in a world that is just so dark. Open our eyes. In that place right now, Lord, where we feel so powerless, let us see your power. Let us see the armies of heaven surrounding, supporting, fighting for us. In that place, Lord, where we feel so hopeless, help us, Lord, to understand the radical possibility that comes when you take control. Lord Jesus, take control. And let light shine, Lord, upon all of us who continue to dwell in darkness. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who alone has the power to open the eyes of the blind. Make us to see. Pray all these things in his name.